We have two readings today. The first one is coming from Genesis, chapter 1, verses 26 to 31. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and to all the creatures that moved along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. The second reading today will be from Psalm 8. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? human beings, that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of God. Uh, good evening. Uh, good evening, all. My name's Matt Fuller, if we've uh, not met. And uh, it's lovely to see you. And just a little word of explanation. Uh, the next month is a little bit different uh, here in the evening, so uh, normal practice will be to, uh, to work our way through a book of the Bible. So church regulars will know we're, we're working our way through the book of Galatians, and we will return to that book in uh, February time. But uh, just for this month, uh, we're thinking topically. So not expanding one part of the Bible, but thinking topically. Uh, And uh, I've given the series the title, True to Self. And really we're going to be thinking for the next month about what does it mean to be human? And in particular, how does that affect our sexuality? Okay, what does it mean to be human? How does that uh, affect our sexuality? Uh, And so we'll be spending much of our time in Genesis 1, 24 to 31. Uh, We had it read uh, earlier. Let's pray. Uh, And then we'll turn and look tonight at Psalm 8, really, together. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And Father, as we'll consider now, this evening, you are the one who is majestic. You are the source of all glory. And yet you bestow that upon us. 
Father, would we once again, or for the first time, be filled with a wonder that we are so precious to you, but that we find our meaning in you and not on our own. Father, be at work amongst us, we pray, as we turn to your word, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. True to self. So my favorite coffee shop uh, nearest to me, which serves a terrific coffee, um, when I go to the loo there, without going into detail, there's a big poster up, and uh, here's the poster, have we got it? Uh, just a reminder to me every time I go in there. Who is awesome? You are awesome. Brilliant. Um, there is no context to that. I could be a mass murderer, uh, but that is the sign that greets me. You're awesome. Who's awesome? You're awesome. Brilliant. Brilliant. Uh, or uh, this week through the post, I received a magazine, and which um, I don't know if that comes out in the photo. Uh, Team U, how to get better at life, how to have more confidence, more belief, and more belonging. Is that tautology? I'm not entirely sure. Team, team me. Does that make sense? I'm not sure it even makes sense. But anyway, that's what I meant. Team U. Okay, who's on team? Who's on team U? Are you on team U? Um, you're awesome. Actually, you are all awesome. And all of you should just play for Team U. That's what you should do. Uh, and then on the tube, I, uh, I saw this one. This is an advert to be a manager at Nando's. And here's the quote from one regional manager. Just brilliant with a huge focus on being true to yourself. What does that mean? What does that mean if you're a manager of Nando's? Okay, but the most important thing we're going to teach you is not health and safety, not making sure no one gets food poisoning, it's being true to yourself. What does that even mean? Does it mean that, um, actually I'm a smoker, and to be true to myself, I need to have a 20 minute ciggy break every hour. And I've got to do that, because I've got to be true to myself, and that's the most important thing in life, that I'm true to myself. Is that alright, boss? Mm, I don't know. What does it mean? In your, I mean, would you like that in your job description? The most important thing we want of you in our law firm, in our dental practice, in our, is that you're true to yourself. Oh, lovely. What does that mean? True to self. It is increasingly the great mantra of the 21st century and an unquestioned assumption. It's obviously good to be true to self. Obviously. Uh, that seems to be the sentiment of our age. How do we make decisions? We've got to be true to yourself. I mean, uh, emotional authenticity, that's what's required. That's how we make decisions in our relationships. Should I go out with this person? Should I end with this person? Well, I've just got to be true to myself. That's the most important thing. In my work, what do I do? Well, I've just got to be true to myself. And as we'll think, in our sexual relationships, in our sexual identity, I've got to be true to myself. It is the mantra of our age. Now, before we even get going, let me just chuck out a couple of questions about whether that makes sense. Uh, here's a couple of questions. The first would be, um, true to self, is that, is that the right answer? Because there's an assumed question there. Now, the question isn't a bad one. The assumed question is, what will make me happy? What will make humanity happy? What will make humanity flourish? That is a sort of essential question of life. And the most common answer, by default, unthinking, not really analysed, is, well, to be true to ourselves. 
question. What makes humanity flourish? Answer, to be true to self. That, that is the 21st century response. Different generations had a different answer. If you grew up in the war in, in the UK, I guess serving your country, perhaps another era raising your children. I'm not saying those are better. But you do realize to be true to yourself, to maximize the freedom you have in life, to, to say, you, you must, I, I, I resist any authority telling me what to do. I resist anyone imposing their values upon me from above, be it a government, be it uh, uh, parents, uh, be it society. I resist. I must be true to myself, and I don't care what anyone else says. That's just an assumption that people make in the 21st century. I'm not saying it's better or worse than other assumptions people have made. But you want at least I'll know what question you're asking. I think we'll discover, even in Psalm 8, that it is a Christian duty to be as happy as you can be. I think the Bible would want us to understand that. It is a Christian duty to be as happy as you can be. But that is found in enjoying God's glory and sharing it not just looking in to yourself. So there's one thing I'd want to ask, true to self, is that, is, that, is that the right answer? The other one, perhaps even more obvious to my mind, okay, so the mantra of the age is I must be true to myself. Which self? Which self am I meant to be true to? Uh, myself as a four-year-old, a 14-year-old, a 44-year-old? Because actually, do you know what? I've changed quite a bit. You'll be understanding people to realize I've changed quite a bit uh, in those different eras of my life. So which self am I meant to be true to? Am I meant to be true to myself today? Because in five years, I might completely disagree with who I am now. So what does that mean? Who am I? How can I be true to myself when I don't know what I'm going to think in five years' time? So, um, you know, there was a bit of a furore a couple of years ago. The Girl Guides changed their vow. For those of you who want to join the Girl Guides... Uh, I can see a number over here um, who want to do so. But uh, I, I just two years ago, the, the, the vow used to be, uh, I, I swear to follow my God. And now the vow is, uh, I take the vow. I promise to be true to myself and develop my beliefs. That's what every girl guide makes when they join, join the girl guides now. I promise to be true to myself and develop my beliefs. Now you can join the guides age seven. What does that mean, age seven, to be true to yourself? And must you be true to yourself and therefore ignore other voices which disagree with you? Because age seven, what do you want to do? I want to be true to myself and therefore I am not going to school and I'm going to watch a lot of TV and I'm going to eat sweets all day long until my teeth fall out. And um, actually, I want to watch all these 18 films to all these DVDs, because I'm told I'm not allowed to watch them. I'm going to watch all of them, and I must be true to myself. Therefore, you mustn't tell me not to. Well, hopefully most parents would say, hold on, hold on, seven-year-old. No, you're not ready to watch those yet. And yet, of course, you know as well as I do that there are children age seven saying, uh, I think I might be in the wrong body. And yet their parents are not allowed to say to them, no, no, you're not ready to make that decision yet. It starts quite young, being true to yourself. But I have to say, my opinion has changed quite a lot about what's good for me from when I was seven. When I was 17. What does it mean 
and we don't even know ourselves very well. My favourite book last year was called Everybody Lies. Slightly miserable book, isn't it, to have as a title? But um, uh, Seth Davidovitz, um, Everybody Lies, What the Internet Can Tell Us About Who We Really Are. It's a terrific read, but it, uh, let me just give it to you, really. It's quite a simple book. Um, you don't have to spend all your money. Essentially, the, the, the thesis which he demonstrates is the things we put on Facebook, that's what people say, here's my life. So I am uh, sporty, uh, love my family, uh, faithful husband, whatever it may be, uh, avid sports watcher and player. And that's what we put out on Facebook. But what really reveals what we're like is what we Google. Here's what we say, and here's what we are. And so you might have someone who says, I am an avid sports fan, but never Googles a single sports website. The only websites they look up are on being a taxidermist or something. Um, that is obscure. Sorry, that just sorry. Um, or I am, comp- you know, I am love my family. I am a faithful and devoted husband. Uh, meanwhile, looks at porn every day. It goes on adulterous websites. Yeah, our Google searches reveal what we're like. So, what does it mean to be true to myself when I I can't even be honest with myself? It's quite a hard place to live. True to self. Uh, well, here we are then for four weeks. We're going to dwell on what does it mean to be human and how does that shape our sexuality? And it goes a bit like this over the four weeks, just you know, tonight we're made for glory. Uh, next week we're made for intimacy. Uh, week three we're made in genders. Uh, and fourth week we're made for commitment. Okay, that's how the four break down. Tonight then we're thinking we're made for glory. And really, I want to say one thing. Our identity is given to us. It's not something we create. Our identity, who we are, is given to us. It's not something we create. Psalm 8. Look at standard uh, Psalm 8 uh, with me, if you will. Uh, Psalm 8, we're told uh, it's a Psalm of David. And uh, the beginning and the ending tell us really what the point of the psalm is. We're meant to praise the Lord. So verse 1, Lord our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And verse 9, Lord our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. That's the point. And uh, uh, if anything goes well, we get to the end of this evening and say that. The Lord is majestic. That's where we should get to. That's the main idea. God is to be worshipped, and in particular in Psalm 8, he's to be worshipped because of his creation and his supreme creation, humanity. The pinnacle of all he made. Um, Let me point out two things. They're on the sheet. Two things, then a few implications. Okay, we're going to look at this. We're not gods, but we wear crowns, and then we'll look at some implications of that. Okay, we're not gods, but we wear crowns. As I say, we're not going through the whole psalm, we're uh, thinking topically mainly. So let me pick it up at verse 3. Verse 3 of Psalm 8. When I consider your, thing, your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is mankind that you're mindful of them? Human beings, or as the footnote probably more accurately says, the son of man that you care for them. When we consider this, this universe, why are we so special? 
I mean, I have some sort of sympathy with those who, who, who think there's got to be other life forms out there. There's got to be, because the universe is so big and so vast, and yeah, whatever, I don't know, maybe, maybe not. But how can it be that it's just all about us? When Psalm says, yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? When I consider the works of his hands. You know, last year, 2017, the, uh, the most watched program on telly was Blue Planet 2. It's one of those extraordinary TV programs that teenagers can happily sit with their parents and their grandparents uh, and all ages in between, and everyone enjoys it uh, and uh, thinks it's quite almost cool to sit together with. Extraordinary, extraordinary, because why? We see things that we don't often get to see. Wow, I've never seen that in creation. Wow. Wow. And the believer goes one step forward further and says, the Lord is amazing. And yet he cares for mankind. Lord, Lord, why do you care for little old us? You know, these stats, we share 95% of our DNA with a chimpanzee, 75% with a mouse, 60% with a chicken. In Nando's, be true to yourself. Um, Why are we so special? Why does the Lord care for us? And yet he does. More than anything. He cares. God, who made everything, cares. If you had the experience, it's a rare one, I guess, in some senses, but um, um, sometimes you, I don't know, traveling, you encounter someone in one of those places where you all get funneled together in an airport where even if uh, someone's flying first class, at some point they have to sort of even look at the hoi polloi, um, and uh, you spot someone famous. It's disconcerting. You know, if you spot a sort of uh, a film star, you sort of freeze a little bit, you can't help yourself. Um, Sometimes you have that, but if they know you, address you, that's quite a special thing. Last summer on holiday, uh, where we were staying, the beach there, um, not full A-list celeb, but uh, Jack Knoll, who most of you won't know, but he's an England rugby player, England and uh, Lions. He'd just come back from uh, touring uh, Australia with the Lions, and he's fairly recognisable, those who know rugby will know. He's absolutely covered in tats, um, from head to toe almost, and also, um, he is, what's the word, hench, I think is the word. Um, (laughs) Uh, he's big, he's big, he's big, and uh, his dad was also completely covered in tattoos. And, uh, and uh, my son, 12, and uh, thought this was amazing that we're on the same beach as someone off TV who plays for England and, and the Lions, and was sort of hyperventilating at this and thought this was the most extraordinary thing and said, do you think I can get a photo with him? Yeah, yeah, probably. I can't go anywhere near him. It's Jack Noel. And I thought, well, let's have a go. And uh, so I went up and said, I'm so sorry, Mr. Noel. I don't don't need to interrupt you. Ah, you're right, mate. He was very friendly. Um, And a lovely bloke, genuinely lovely bloke. Um, You know, happy to chat about experiences on tour. Probably not best to repeat all of them. Um, but uh, just a super bloke. And I said, look, my son, he'd like a photo. He's a bit embarrassed. He's a bit awestruck. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. Which one's your son over there? So he wandered over. I said, oh, hello, Nathan. <laughs> Can I have a selfie with you? <laughs> and uh, so there they were, you know. 
And uh, they took this photo, which then, of course, gets uh, Instagrammed around uh, the whole of year eight uh, at school. And, um, you know, oh, cool, you know, like, hmm, good. Um, <laughs> but this for him, I mean, that's it. You know, back, back to school after eight weeks, what was the highlight of the whole? Jack Noll. Um, you know, what's his photograph on his page? Jack Noll. Um, that for him was amazing. Jack Noll would care for me. Well, sort of. Sort of. That God would care for me? Well, that's extraordinary. When you consider everything that he's... He's got a whole universe to make. A thousand and one different creatures across this planet. And yet he says, you may only be 5% different from the chimpanzees, but you, humanity, you are very different. You are very different. But we are still made. Verse 5. You, Lord, have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. We are still made. God made us. We don't make ourselves, we don't create our own identity. We don't determine our purpose. God gives us these things. He gives us our identity and purpose and meaning. We don't make it ourselves. So there's a sense, you know, Genesis chapter 1 would say we're made in the image of God. But an image, the thing about an image, it is only an image. It's not the real thing, by definition. The, God, the Lord is the original, but in those terms. And we're an image of him. We can only say human after we've defined God. Because we're an image of him. He is reality. We are reflection. He is Sound, we are echo. He is king. We are servants. We don't make ourselves. We have no meaning, no existence apart from him. And that's where there's a bit of a clash with modern culture. At university, I read history. And... um, uh, I remember reading John Stuart Mill on Liberty. It was, of course, a book I had to read. Um, but uh, one, as an 18-year-old, not a believer, had to read this, and it was electric to me. It was the first time I'd read anything like it. Written in 1859, so hardly a modern, class- well, modern classic, but, of course, it is the founding text of liberalism. And at the heart of it, John Stuart Mill declares, over himself, over his body and his mind, the individual is sovereign. I remember reading those words and thinking, yes. Over himself, over his mind, over his body, I am sovereign. I am in charge. And you can back off parents, lecturers, authorities. I, I run me. And some may say that's not true. Sounds very impressive. You can be pleased with yourself. It's just not true. 
God is sovereign. He made you. He owns you. He tells you who you are. It's a fairly straightforward thing. When you make something, you own it. So, a daft example, but uh, here is a book, which I wrote, and it's mine. And you can buy it, but you can't change it. You're not allowed to. You can't take it and edit bits out and say it's better now. You're not allowed to. I'll take you to court. Well, I probably won't. But um, technically, uh, that's, that's, that's it. You can't scrub my name out and put your name on the front. Well, you sort of can. But you're not allowed to. It's my book. I own it. Therefore, you're not allowed to do whatever you want to it. I meant to bring with me the... Um, I have one or two photos, still on my phone, that I've taken. I'm so pleased with them, I put them on canvases because I think they're good. And if you disagree, I don't care. Uh, I like them. But they're my photos and my pictures. And you can't claim them as yours because they're mine. I own them. Or here's my wallet. And it is stuffed full of money. As you can see. (laughs) Or money in potential, uh, these things. It is stuffed full of money, let's say. And it's mine. And you can't just take it. And you can't do what you want with it. Because it's mine. I made it. I earned it. It belongs to me. And humans are made. God made us. We're his. And so we're not free to edit and take stuff out and say, I think it's better now. Because we're his. He owns us. God made us. And he owns us. And as I say, the assumption in the modern world is that we're sovereign. And happiness comes when we're free from any external influences or compulsion upon us. Happiness comes when we're free from authority. Increasingly, of course, happiness comes when we're free from our nature. I want to change myself. So I must be free. I must be true to myself, is the modern cry. I must be free. I must be free to choose who I have sex with. Male, female, animal. I must be free. When I do it, to whatever age I want to be, I must be free. I must be free to determine um, what gender I am. I must be free. I must be free. Well, Psalm 8 would say, no, you're not God. And you're not sovereign. He owns you. He's in charge. We don't create our identity. It is given to us by God. We're not gods. And yet, verses 5 to 8, we do wear crowns wonderfully. It's the, the, the balancing half of it. We're not gods, but we wear crowns. Here's the balance. Verse 5, you made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them. With glory and honor, you made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. We wear crowns. God has crowned humanity with glory and honor. And particularly, you see it in these verses, it's in God's rule over creation. Not the totality of what it means to be in God's image. Think about that next time. But we're crowned. Now, probably didn't notice, but in Genesis chapter 1, the original description of creation, there's no mention of glory. There the emphasis is you're made in God's image. That language not here, but the language of being crowned with glory and honor, Psalm 8. But they are the same. 
So to be made in God's image is to be crowned with glory and honor, according to the psalmist. They are synonymous terms, and the New Testament brings them together. Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 7 will say, man is the glory and the image of God. They're the same thing. To be made in God's image is to be crowned with glory. Humanity is the finest of God's works. The absolute pinnacle of his creation. It's where it comes in Genesis chapter one. It's how it's described here in Psalm eight. No one else, no other thing, no other creature is crowned with glory. And so there are no ordinary people Every human is extraordinary compared to any other creature upon this planet because we're crowned with glory. There are no mere mortals. Every human is made in God's image. It is an extraordinary privilege. And Psalm 8 would say it issues in our ruling over creation. We're made for glory. We're made to to enjoy God who is glorious, but also here to share his glory. He says, come and and share who I am and, and share in my activity of ruling over creation. I crown you with glory to do such a thing. So here's the balance of, well, Genesis 1 or Psalm verse 8 for us humans. We're not gods, but we wear crowns. We don't choose our identity, God gives it to us. But it is an extraordinary one. Phenomenal, noble. So combine the two and we have, I don't know what you want to call it, a glorious humility. We're not gods, but we wear crowns. Problem with that is, or no, no, that's not the right way of putting it. Yet sometimes we doubt it and we think, I will glory myself. But if you start to understand this, any attempt at self-glorification diminishes you because you stop being what you're meant to be. We become less. So daft example. But the Lord says, right, I'm going to plonk you, take you up and plonk you down uh, at the top of the Alps and uh, on a, in the middle of winter when they've just had seven foot of snow dump in 48 hours, once in a generation sort of snow, but it's a blue sky and the sun is shining and uh, I just want you to stand there and you can ski off in a minute in, in the fresh powder with, with, with your friends or maybe, and uh, it's absolutely stunning. Uh, and we, we have a quick cursory glance and say, well, yeah, that's, that's all right. But um, while I'm here, I'm just going to spend the next few hours looking at myself. Just going to look at myself. And perhaps one or two others are there and they say, what are you doing? And we say, I'm looking at myself. Look at the view. Look at the view. And you say, no, no, look at me. Look at me. Ignore everything out there and and look at me. Eventually people are going to say, you're a bit odd. This is... This is stunning. This is breathtaking. This makes you go, wow. And we say, yeah, yeah but look at me. Look at me. I mean, I mean, look, I can just spend hours putting whatever eyeliner on, 
whatever, um, shaving again and again and again. I can pluck eyebrows and then colour them back in, as is the fashion. Um, uh, you know, look at me. And they say, no, look, look around. Well, the Lord plonks you down in the middle of the Serengeti. And the animals are all nice. They're not ravenous. And you can talk to the hippos and the lions and the rhinos. And it's amazing, all these creatures you've only ever seen on telly, and, and they're just there. And you're with your family or your friends, and they go, oh, I never thought I'd get to these animals so close. And you say, yeah, but you're so close to me. And that is weird. And you miss out if you just think about me, and you look internally at me. And, and Psalm 8 would say, what are you doing don't just say, when I'm true to myself, when I, when I look in and, and do everything for, for me and, and worry about my own responses, no, look out. You've been made for glory. You've been made to enjoy God's glory and to share in it. And when you push that aside, you diminish yourself. And of course, you have to try and create something yourself. You have to create your own identity. Now, we all do that, but sometimes people, it's very obvious, isn't it? You, sometimes you meet those people, and they, it's just some sort of bizarre interaction, and uh, they bound up to you and say, uh, hello, I'm Peter, I'm a vegan. Uh, okay. Okay. You never quite know what to say by response. Hello, I'm, 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 you know, I'm Jemima, and I'm a, a green activist. Okay. I'm Matt, I'm human. Uh, you never know quite what to say, do you? But they've determined that's, that's who they are. That is the most important thing in their identity. Hello, I'm Clarissa, I'm a lesbian. Okay. And if you, for a moment, thought of replying, uh, that's a slightly odd way to introduce yourself, if you've ever been folly enough to try that, what you're met with is rage. How dare you? This is who I am. Because once you push God out and say, no, I make myself, then the identity you create for yourself becomes so important that if anyone challenges it, people rage. And we see that in our culture now. Let's look at three practical ways this makes a difference. Three practical examples, uh, uh, then we're done. Okay. We're not gods, we wear crowns. Let me look at the uh, three things with you briefly. Human dignity, personal value, lasting glory. Uh, One, two, three. First, human dignity. 1859, the same year that John Stuart Mill wrote On Liberty, uh, many would know Charles, Charles Darwin wrote On the Origin of Species. Do you know the full title of that book? Not many do, and you won't read it from that. Or if you do, you've got supersonic eyes. You know, you get down to the bottom row of the, uh, the eye test and you're very clever. But uh, the full title, of course, is... On the origin of species by means of natural selection or the preservation of the favoured races in the struggle for life. Ooh, a bit awkward. Introduction. The Western nations of Europe now so immeasurably surpass their former savage progenitors that the civilised races of man will almost certainly exterminate and replace the savage races through the world. Ouch. Europeans are so much superior to every other 
and in particular, he was just about to go on tour. He'd just come back from on tour of Australia at that point, Aboriginals. So superior that we must exterminate them, and that is for the good of humanity. Ouch. You could, of course, say, well, he's just a product of his time. I mean, he's a genius, but just a product, you know, oops. But what you end up saying, of course, is it's a very awkward question once you've got rid of God. Why is racism despicable? I mean, if, if we're just 95% chimpanzee and everyone says that humans are better than chimpanzees, everyone says that in culture, why is it not okay to say Asians are superior to Europeans and therefore have the right to dominate them and treat them as they desire? Why is that not okay? Because the Christian can say it's not okay because humans are made in the image of God and no other creatures are. That gives us a unique dignity. Every human being, every human being is crowned with glory and honor made in the image of God. Why do you think humans are different? It's a really awkward question. If you're not made in the image of God, it makes a massive difference. If your identity is given by God, gives every human glory and honor, if you have to create your identity, well, what if some people are more sophisticated than others? Are they allowed to subjugate them? I mean, we do it to the animals. Why not? No, 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 no. You mustn't do that. Yeah, but why? You can have no answer to the question, why is racism despicable? That is coherent. That doesn't end up with, because I don't like it. Unless you believe that God has given humans their identity. Human dignity, that flows from being made, not creating ourselves. Uh, personal value will be another one. I do, if you read last year, the, um, this is an extraordinary case, the 50-year-old socialite who was given the right to die by a British judge. She was unnamed. She claimed uh, that she couldn't bear to watch her looks fade. She'd been married four times, uh, been very affluent, lived a champagne lifestyle, uh, covered with uh, pearls and jewels, etc., etc., etc. But now she was alone and uh, had no money because uh, her wealthy husbands had been bankrupted. And so she said, aged 50, I can't bear to live in a council flat, be poor or be ugly. I'd rather die. And the judge said, okay. She has placed a premium on youth and beauty, and in her words, a life that sparkles. Deprived of that, her life has no meaning, so she should be granted the right to die. Now, of course, all sorts of things run through our heads. I mean, silly woman and sort of, you know, all sorts. But ultimately, that's tragic, isn't it? It, it? Unless I've got money to spend on champagne, unless I look young, I'm worthless. So I'll die. Of course, you think that's a bit extreme. It's a bit extreme. But then I read that uh, on average, young people under the age of 30 spend 110 pounds per calendar month on trying to look young. You are young. Get over it. <laughs> You're just young. Um, spend 110 pounds per calendar month in the UK on average on trying to look like, I don't know, your favorite celebrity, whatever it may be. 
But there's the danger journey, um, growing up on Insta Envy, trying to copy what other people look like. Psalm 8 cries out, you are crowned with glory and honor. You have a wonderful value. And you need to know that. A 50-year-old socialite really needed someone to tell her that. You're of priceless value. You're made in God's image. You're the pinnacle of his handiwork. That gives you value. Human dignity, personal value, last one. Lasting glory. We can read Psalm 8 and think, well, it doesn't always feel that way or look that way that humanity is so wonderfully crowned. But um, those of you going through the book of Hebrews know this. Do turn on with you, uh, with me, would you, briefly. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2. It's page 1202 in the uh, Red Bibles. You all know that uh, many who have been studying through the book of Hebrews this year, midweek, that the writer to Hebrews quotes these verses from Psalm 8 and says we see them fulfilled in Jesus and therefore we'll see them fulfilled in us. So page 1202, Psalm, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 6 and 7, he quotes Psalm 8 and then says at the end of the quote, verse 8, or let me read from verse 7. You made them a little lower than the angels, crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we don't see everything subject to them. We don't, we don't see mankind ruling over everything. We know that. But, verse 9, but. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. And in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect, wonderful. You and I, humanity, we fail to rule, to live out the glory of God as we should. We have cracked crowns. The evocative phrase of Francis Schaeffer, we are glorious ruins Glorious, but not quite as we should be. But Jesus is the perfect human. And so now, a man like us, a human like us, of our own flesh and blood, sits on God's throne of glory, sits on his Father's throne, guaranteeing that you and I will go there to be with him if we trust him. So it doesn't look like we're enjoying the full glory of God now, because we're not. But Jesus is. He lived his life perfectly. He sat on the throne and says, trust in me and you will share this fully. You are made for glory. Let me take you there. We don't make ourselves. We don't make our identity. It's given to us. All glory belongs to God and he says, come share my glory. Not merely that we behold God's glory and say, wow, he calls us to share it. It's not merely that we see beauty, we're united with it. It's not merely that we delight in Christ, we become like him. That is extraordinary. We're made for glory. And that is so much 
bigger than trying to create a little bit of self-glorification for ourselves. This is so very small. It's a small world when we're made for glory. We're not gods, but we wear crowns because we're made to share God's glory. And so we say, the Lord is our Lord. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You're extraordinary. You made us. You know us. You love us. You crown us and say, I own everything and I want to share it with you. That is glory. More than we can ever create for ourselves. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, we want to get this balance right. We're not gods, but we wear crowns. We don't create ourselves. We don't give meaning to our lives. You do, and it's a fantastic meaning. It is a glorious existence. You intend to crown us with glory and honor. Now, our crowns are cracked. Our glory is tarnished. But then, when we join the Lord Jesus Christ, our older brother, in glory, then we will see it fully. So Father, help us to honor you. Help us to be faithful to you. Help us to make it our duty to be as happy as we can be as Christians by enjoying your glory and sharing it, we pray, for the honor of your name. Amen.